OIV iron is so in vogue right now. It seems to be the hot new therapy for iron deficiency in both pregnancy and the postpartum period. What does the data show? Let's take a look at IV iron compared to oral iron therapy surrounding pregnancy. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the American College of OBGYN and even the U.S. Preventative Service Task Force all recommend routine screening for anemia during pregnancy and the CDC and ACOG recommend low-dose iron supplementation for all pregnant women. Iron deficiency anemia in pregnancy is associated with increased risks and adverse birth outcomes. These can include preterm delivery, a threefold increase in the incidence of low birth weight, cesarean delivery, and of course, the need for blood transfusion. Oral iron therapy, the current frontline standard, is often not optimal for iron deficiency in pregnancy because of its GI intolerance. Further complicating the issue of oral iron therapy is recently published evidence demonstrating incremental changes, increases in serum hepcidin levels for about 48 hours after ingestion of an iron tablet. Ironically, this actually impairs iron absorption. This has prompted new recommendations stating that oral iron therapy should not be taken daily but on an every other day basis. Published evidence reports that intravenous iron is safe and effective in the second and third trimesters of pregnancy. Intravenous iron is the preferred route when there is oral iron intolerance or in those situations where oral iron is ineffective or harmful. Intravenous iron is also preferred if the anemia is severe, defined as less than 8 grams per deciliter in some studies. This is specifically relevant in the second trimester or at any time in the third trimester where there is little expectation that adequate quantities of iron will be delivered to the fetus as iron requirements increase in each trimester. Guidelines for maternal and neonatal screening and treatment do, however, lack some consistency and they actually differ between the U.S. and Europe. With 42% of pregnancies worldwide affected by anemia, according to the World Health Organization, improving treatment beyond the standard oral treatment regimen could have a large effect on decreasing pregnancy complications. Specifically, women with bariatric surgery or inflammatory bowel disease are at higher risk of failure with oral therapy due to GI absorption issues. All right, before we get into the specific data regarding pregnancy, let's review some basic science. I know, that sounds great, right? But we got to do this before the rest of the material makes sense. In a typical pregnancy, maternal iron requirements include 300 to 350 milligrams for the fetus and the placenta, 500 milligrams for the expansion of the maternal red blood cell mass, and another 250 milligrams associated with blood loss during labor and delivery. The requirement for iron increases gradually from about 0.8 milligrams per deciliter in the first trimester to about 7.5 milligrams per deciliter in the third. 
Yet, the average daily absorption of iron from Western diets is only about 1 to 5 milligrams. So, women cannot fulfill their iron needs from normal food intake alone and must draw upon iron stores, and this increases the risk of iron deficiency anemia. Also, as a lab value, remember that the MCV test from a CBC is an unreliable marker of iron deficiency in pregnancy. Stimulation of erythropoiesis leads to a physiologic increase in MCV during pregnancy that counterbalances the microcytosis of iron deficiency anemia. A low MCV, which is defined as an MCV value less than 80, is highly sensitive, but it is not specific for iron deficiency anemia. Now, while oral iron is inexpensive and readily available, more than 70% of women experience significant GI symptoms from its use, and this can even include a metallic taste, gastric irritation, and worsening of constipation that is already present due to the high progesterone levels of pregnancy. So for pregnant women who already experience these GI issues, this can be a heavy burden. Oral iron also may be inadequate treatment for pregnant women with severe iron deficiency. And it's also known, remember, that the iron status of the neonate can also be compromised. So let's take a look at this data. In a prospective trial of 2,400 pregnant women with iron deficiency anemia who received oral iron supplementation, maternal hemoglobin and iron parameters did improve. But... Almost half of the neonates, about 45%, were born iron deficient. All right, so babies are born iron deficient. What does that mean? Well, that wouldn't be a big deal, except that neonates that are born with iron deficiency have been associated with statistically significant increases in cognitive and behavioral abnormalities that can persist through early adulthood. So that's a big clinical pearl. Iron deficiency anemia also increases the chance, the risk, of neonatal developmental abnormalities in addition to the obstetrical risks that we've already covered, like preterm labor, small for gestational age, and obviously the need for blood transfusion. So, this has led to much more of a scientific voice in the literature calling to attention this specific question. Given the data about neonatal concerns, why wouldn't we want to be treating these patients during pregnancy with intravenous rather than oral iron? Several authors have reported that IV iron therapy in pregnancy and the postpartum period is associated with a more rapid increase in hemoglobin and or or better replenishment of iron stores than is iron therapy. All right, when we come back, we're going to take a look at the data specifically regarding pregnancy and the postpartum period. In late 2018, the author Govindapagari et al. conducted a meta-analysis of 11 randomly controlled trials 
published between 2002 and up to 2017 to uncover the possible benefits of intravenous iron over oral treatment in pregnancy. Studies were conducted in India, Egypt, France, and Turkey with one additional multicenter study that gathered patients from seven different countries. Participants were given iron sucrose, ferric carboxymaltose, or low molecular weight iron dextran. In the overall assessment of subjects who achieved target hemoglobin levels, patients receiving intravenous iron were 2.7 times more likely to reach target levels than those given oral treatment with a p-value that was statistically significant. After four weeks of treatment, patients in the IV group had a mean hemoglobin increase of 0.84 milligrams per deciliter higher than those in the oral group. That p-value was also statistically significant. So the investigators found that those taking oral treatments were 35% more likely to experience adverse effects than those receiving IV iron treatment. Maternal and neonatal outcomes were also, however, not included in any of the studies analyzed, nor was a cost analysis of the financial burden of switching from oral to intravenous treatment conducted. For the postpartum period, although the outcomes with postpartum iron deficiency anemia are more difficult to study, this condition is associated with increased risk of maternal fatigue and depression, and it is often overlooked as a significant issue during the postpartum period. Now, in a recent systematic review, Sultan and colleagues from December of 2018 sought to provide an updated assessment of IV versus oral iron treatment for postpartum anemia. The six-week postpartum hemoglobin concentration was the primary outcome. These authors screened over 2,700 articles for randomized controlled trials comparing oral and IV iron in the treatment of postpartum anemia. 15 RCTs were included in this review, with over 1,000 women receiving oral iron treatment and 1,100 women receiving IV iron. The baseline postpartum hemoglobin concentration in the 15 studies ranged from less than 8 to 10.5 grams per deciliter. In all but one study, the women in the IV treatment arm experienced a significant increase in postpartum hemoglobin, with the mean difference being about 1 gram per deciliter at postpartum week 1 and 0.9 grams per deciliter at postpartum week 6. Both of these were statistically significant. Only four studies were included in the meta-analysis. Specifically, six-week postpartum hemoglobin levels were measured in about 250 women who received IV iron and in about 134 women who received the oral treatment. Significant differences were seen in the IV iron group compared with the oral group for three of the secondary outcomes evaluated. That was flushing, decreased constipation, and decreased dyspepsia. None of the other secondary outcomes associated with IV iron, like muscle cramps, headaches, or urticaria, or rash, occurred at statistically significant rates. Now, we're going to talk about these potential side effect issues with IV iron in our next session.
Now, notably, adherence was not assessed in the majority of these studies, however. Although constipation was increased in the oral iron therapy group, it was reported at only about 12%. All right, let's pause here for a moment and just briefly recap these two large reviews. One study conducted in pregnancy and the second study regarding postpartum use both confirmed the advantages, safety, and the efficacy of IV iron over oral therapy, especially in severe anemia during pregnancy and the postpartum period. All right, in our next session coming up, which is our final part of this podcast, we will cover that question that remains. All right, if IV iron is the way to go, especially in severe anemia in pregnancy and the postpartum period, well, which iron should we use? Let's cover that in our final section next. All right, so now that we've covered that data, what kind of IV iron should we use? Well, six formulations are available in the U.S. and Europe. Ferric gluconate, iron sucrose, low molecular weight iron dextran, ferric carboxymaltose, iron isomaltoside, and ferromoxitol. Now, based on the predominance of data from prospective trials, All are deemed equally safe and efficacious. However, of course, it's just not that easy of an issue. All IV iron formulations may be associated with some mild allergic reactions that can be characterized by nausea, hypotension, tachycardia, chest pain, dyspnea, and edema of the extremities that mostly occur within 24 hours of infusion, so patients should be made aware of these potential side effect issues. These minor infusion reactions typically are self-limited, do not require treatment, and should not be misread as an anaphylactic reaction. They rarely recur with re-challenge, so that's a clinical pearl. Once these symptoms may present, usually with the first IV infusion therapy, they rarely recur with re-challenge. Now, a quick word about iron dextran. Low molecular weight dextran remain in the old pregnancy categories that was given as A through X as category C designation, despite evidence suggesting that adverse events ascribed to iron dextran are mostly associated with the high molecular weight formulation. Once again, during pregnancy and the postpartum period, it is the low molecular weight iron dextran that's recommended and not the high molecular weight formulation. Lastly, as we wrap up the podcast, each hospital should have its pre-printed order set for standardization for IV iron therapy. For example, one regimen for iron sucrose calls for an IV infusion of up to 200 milligrams in 100 mLs of normal saline to be administered over 30 minutes. This can be given on alternative days up to three times a week. The maximum dose at a time for iron sucrose is thought to be 200 milligrams infused over 30 minutes. No test dose specifically is required for iron sucrose. 
But, of course, as with all IV iron infusions, the patient should be monitored for minor reactions and the patient should be told of these possibilities occurring within the first 24 hours after IV iron use. Well, that wraps up our podcast. It looks like, according to the data, that IV iron therapy in pregnancy and the postpartum period, especially for those who cannot tolerate oral iron or in whom oral iron therapy has failed, or in patients that are in high risk of poor GI absorption, IV iron therapy, according to the literature, seems to be the way to go. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.